Good evening, everyone. The last time that you and I met up here, we talked about the great sin of Israel and their ultimate defeat at Ai, chapter 7 of Joshua. And then in chapter 8, you see a great victory because the people repented and returned to the Lord. And you see a covenant renewal in chapter 8 of Joshua. And now that the land, for the most part, has been won by God for his people, we come tonight to another instance of a covenant renewal for God's people and thanksgiving for what he has done for them. And so as we sort of close in on the conclusion of Joshua, you know, I feel in some ways that my task tonight is landing the plane. And in order to do that, I need to lower the landing gear and drop the flaps so that next Sunday morning when Dr. Dale Ralph Davis comes, he will actually be able to get the plane on the tarmac and land it safely. So he will close out the final few verses of Joshua chapter 24 next Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11. And then in the middle of that, he's going to give an overview and a joint Sunday school of the book of Joshua to follow our time to reflect over the next several weeks in our Bible studies on this amazing book of Joshua. This is my task tonight. When I was reading this passage and thinking about it, I, one of the things that I thought about were transitions that happen in life. Oh, I mean, over the last 18 to 20 months, we've had some transitions, have we not, in our lives? And uh, both corporately and individually, we've had a lot to transition through. But if I ask you tonight, could you name five or I'll just say three significant transitions in your life? Uh, what would you say? How, how would you define those sort of earth-shaking transitions, watershed moments in your lives? Which ones would surface for you? It uh, could be uh, getting your license when you turn 16. That's a pretty big one. Some of you are waiting for that now over the next year or so. Could be possibly that um, you're getting married or that um, you're having children or that you're getting a job or losing a job. Because not every transition you see is a positive one, is it? Sometimes we go through transitions and they're quite negative. And God seems to always use those in our lives just as well as the positive transitions. And sometimes he uses those more. And Israel certainly has had its share of both good and not so good transitions. But these events, they encourage us to both look back, but also to look forward. To look back and reflect on what has happened in our lives and how God has met us in those moments to understand where we are right now today, but also to look to the future. And so it's one of the reasons that I uh, wanted to title the sermon tonight, 
one generation to another. Because this is the kind of transition that Joshua is expressing in this chapter here. Tonight he also expressed it last week to leaders in chapter 23. It encourages us to look back and it provides a perspective on where we are heading to the future. And as we close in on the end of Joshua, something similar is happening for us. He calls all the tribes together in one place. Uh, Not, by the way, to hear him. He calls them together to hear from the Lord. That's exactly what we do on Sunday mornings when we get together and we gather for worship. And we did it tonight. Pastor Heron said, would you stand for the call to worship? The call to worship is an opportunity to say, God, we're here. We know you're here. We're here. We're ready to listen. We're ready to hear what you have to say and to obey it. That's what a call to worship is, and that's what an invocation is. It's God, come and fill this place so that we can experience you, and it will change us when we do. So that's what we're looking for tonight, and I want, as we begin to read the text, it is a a rather long, and I just want to say a great job to all the pastors who've worked on these Joshua texts over the last couple of months. They've been long passages, long chapters. It's tough to get through all of that and have a coherent sermon. I hope that will be the case tonight. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 24, and I'm going to start in the first verse. So let's open our hearts And our minds now to the reading of God's word. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country to Seir, to Esau, But Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued you with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. But when Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. 
Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors who worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. The Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after He has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No! We will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Teach us tonight through it. Forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for they are many. And in all things, may you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 
So I want to talk about the past, the present, and the future because that's what this chapter talks about. You know, it's good to know where you came from. In our language today, it's called knowing your family of origin. And some, for some of us, our family of origin is not a pretty picture. It's not a happy story. Yet God has met us in all of that and is bringing us through it, refining us all along the way. And God brings them to Shechem. Now, Shechem is an amazing place. When you hear Shechem, you should be thinking in your mind, what, what has happened at Shechem? Because there's a lot that has happened there. When you think of Shechem, you should think, mm-hmm, this is where God, in Genesis chapter 12, appeared to Abram under the oak and made a promise to him for what? What did he promise him? Well, he promised him land and he promised him a people. And not only that, Abraham built an altar there. And God fulfilled his promise. He gave him a land and he gave him a people too many to number. When you hear Shechem, you should also think, well, this is where Jacob, after reconciling with his brother Esau, well, there's a story on forgiveness. After he reconciles with his brother, bought a piece of land and built an altar there in God's name in Genesis 33. And you remember in Joshua 8, I just mentioned here in the shadow of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim that Joshua led the people in renewing their covenant vows after the fiasco at Ai. I'm sure it wasn't lost on Joshua that this is where it all started for the people of Israel. The promise, the land, the people, the provision. And it all had to come to pass and it all came to pass. Joshua is saying to the people, God did this. God did this. You didn't do it. I didn't do it. God did this. And when you realize that God does these things in our lives, then the response is to worship Him, like we're doing, hopefully, tonight. If we're going to take some time tonight to consider this faithful promise-keeping God, then maybe we want to renew tonight our commitment to Him. Maybe this is not just for the people of Israel, not just for this text, but for you and for me. That it's time for us to get serious in our relationship with God. He's serious with us. He's serious about us. And he is serious about sin, if you remember from Joshua chapter 7. He doesn't like it. He hates it. Everyone who sins has to pay for that sin. Thank God for Jesus, who has paid that for us. 
So let's consider tonight how we might renew our own commitment to God. So it's all about and always has been all about God's grace. It's always been about His grace. David Jackman explains the connection between the past that we see in these early verses in chapter 24 and grace. He says this, The history of Israel is the covenant's most eloquent proof since the very beginning and on every page ever since. It is and always has been all about Yahweh's unmerited favor, His mercy, and His grace. Well said. It has always been that. And it's on every page of the Scriptures. Listen as Joshua speaks for God in the text that we just read. I took your father Abraham in verse 3. I gave him Isaac in verse 3. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, verse 4. I sent Moses and Aaron and plagued Egypt. I brought you out in verse 5. I brought your fathers out in verse 6. I brought you to the land in verse 8. I gave them into your hand in verse 8. I delivered you out of his, Balaam's, hand in verse 10. You get the message? You get the point? This is not about Joshua and his leadership capability, and he's a great leader. This is about God and how much he loves his people and what he will do to make good on the promises that he makes to his people. So Joshua divides the past up into four parts. We'll just quickly run through those. First of all, the patriarchs in verses 2 to 4. He gives there the promise to Abram. Seemed like it might not happen. Abram's, you know, he's trying to pawn his wife off as his sister in Egypt. Got the trouble with uh, Jacob and Esau. Um, Joseph, yes, Joseph was a great, great servant of God, but, but he, he was not so bright on the emotional intelligence part, particularly early on in his life. But he learned along the way, and God was able to use him. But God was always faithful to his promise, always faithful. The second recalls the exodus in the wilderness and is summarized in just one verse, verse 5. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted these Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. Many, many chapters in Exodus condensed to this one verse. The third section reminds them of the victories that he had on the east side of the Jordan before crossing. They hadn't even crossed the Jordan yet, but they had enemies that had to be dealt with. And he thwarted, he said, I thwarted the false prophet Balaam who was hired by King Balaam to curse Israel. So instead of Balaam cursing, he ends up blessing and blessing and blessing Israel. Who can do that but God? That's exactly what he did. And the final section in the past is a reminder of all the victories God had won for them up to this point. All the victories in Canaan up to chapter 24. So here's the point, God says. I'm not saying this. Joshua's not saying this. God is saying that. Here's the point. You did not do it. 
He says in verse 12, You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you the land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And he's saying the same thing to you and to me tonight. All that you have, you have because of him. Now maybe you labored and worked some, yes. So I have this couple of raised bed garden in my backyard. And I have varying amounts of success and failure in, in my ability to grow things. But, you know, one of the things that's taught me over the last few years is I look at it and I think, I don't, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that, those tomatoes just come how okra just sprouts up from a seed and produces things that Julie and I can eat. And it's taught me a bit more about thanking God and being, and being, pre being present with him in those moments and saying, you do provide everything that we have. I also remember this. You know, I, I was... I talked about transitions, and they're not all positive. When I was with Coca-Cola, uh, I had my boss come down from out of town and uh, tell me that there was a reorganization plan in play, and uh, I was part of that reorganization plan. Now, you can say that a lot of different ways, but what it basically means is you're fired. He goes back to, to his place, and the next week they're reorganizing with him, and then it gets more reorganizing going on. And I felt, I felt really defeated and disappointed at that point in my life. But you know, if that had not happened, there are a lot of things that wouldn't have happened. We would not have had the adopted son we have today. I would not be up here if that had not happened. I would not have gone to seminary. And all of the things that unfolded after that, that are so hard to see in the moment, aren't they? But God is at work. Listen again to David Jackman. There is no altercation, no alteration in the character of grace since there is no deviation in the character of God whom it reveals. So this passage must surely encourage us to review our spiritual heritage as Paul does in his majestic opening to the letter of Ephesians, when he exclaims, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It would be spiritually, it would be a spiritually health-giving application of Joshua 24 for us to view the blessings that God has purchased for us through Christ. That would be a good exercise for you and me to do. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 1 of our election, our adoption, our redemption, forgiveness, knowledge of God's will, and the inheritance of the eternal kingdom. All of those things God has given us because he loves us. None of this came to us by sword or bow. They are all only the product of the grace of God in the gospel. We contribute nothing to them. Absolutely nothing. 
We are people of undeserved but abundant mercy from start to finish. It is grace alone that defines who we really are. Here, uh, Dr. Davis, who will be with us next week, is enlightening. He says, such is the review of covenant history, the story of the king's grace. Do you begin to feel the gentle handcuffs of God's goodness slipping around the wrist of your heart? He says, remember how I took you as my own, how I baffled you, rescued you in your helplessness, how I shielded you from dangers seen and unseen, how I have sustained you with bread and meat until this very day. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Do you feel the claim of this text, the pull it exerts on your affections? We should remember the past, but we also live in the present Having given a vista of Yahweh's faithfulness to every promise that he made, Joshua presses on on Israel to ask and to answer this fundamental question. How can you respond to this promise-making, covenant-keeping God? How can you do that? How do you respond to that? When he says, this is what I've done for you, how do you respond to that? And Joshua says, by committing yourselves again to this covenant between you and God. He says in verse 14, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. What does that mean? What does that mean for you and I to serve him with all faithfulness? Well, it means, number one, the text says, by getting rid of all those other gods, all those false gods. And if you think tonight that you're sitting in here and you don't have false gods because you only worship the one true God... That is not true. It has never been true for the people of God, and it never will be until Jesus returns. We always struggle. As Calvin said, our hearts are idle factories, just pumping them out, just one after another. The truth is that we have never completely ridded ourselves of false worship. And Joshua is urging us in verse 14 to stop the idol worship, to give it up. And then a curious thing he says in Joshua uh, chapter 24, verse 15. He says, if you're not going to follow Yahweh, so if you've decided you're not going to follow him, then at least choose the God you will serve. You can serve the old gods of your ancestors, the one in Mesopotamia, or you can serve the gods of the Amorites. But serve some god because you do serve a god, right? We all serve some god. And so Joshua is saying, if you're not going to serve the one true god, then fess up. Who is the god you're serving? Which are the gods that you're serving? Now, is he encouraging them to serve a pagan god? Well, yes and no. We, like they, struggle every day with idols, and it's a choice that we make every day. The choice is, who are we going to follow? Who are we going to follow? Are we prepared tonight to place God in control of every aspect of our life? 
Are you prepared to do that tonight? Are you prepared to give him complete control of your career? Complete control of your marriage. Complete control of your singleness. Complete control of your body. Complete control of your family. Complete control of your fears. Complete control of your brokenness. Are you willing to do that? Because that's what he's asking. Are you willing to trust him with it all? And then Joshua says, I, I don't know about you, but as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that, is that your commitment tonight? That we're going to serve the Lord, no matter what. No matter what may come. As John Owen said, you better be killing sin or it's going to be killing you. And is that the fight that you're in tonight? Because it is a fight. It's a war. Jackman says this. He points out that Joshua is forcing Israel to make a decision. That's what he's doing. You need to decide tonight whom you're going to serve. Is it going to be God? Or is it going to be some other idol in your life? Total commitment and nothing less. That's what God asks. That's what he requires of his people. Total commitment. And the people's response is what? Count me in. I'm good. I've seen what God does and I'm in. We will serve God as well. He saved us over and over again. Not only us, but he saved our ancestors as well. Joshua, we are going to serve the Lord as well. And now, you know, what they promised, Joshua says, is something they cannot deliver. He says, you cannot do that. You don't know how to do that. You will fail at it because you always have failed at it. So he's, he's basically asking us to live in both of those worlds. Knowing you're going to sin, knowing you have to kill that sin every day, he's saying, yet, I want your total commitment. And that's what you should do. That's what you should give to him. So Joshua says... You on your own cannot do this. And again, I can't say it quite like Dr. Davis can. Don't you realize the sort of God you're dealing with? He is a holy, jealous God. You don't dare come to him thinking, though it makes him sad to see the way we live, he'll always say, I forgive. Yahweh is not a soft, cuddly Santa in the sky who drools over easy decisions during invitation hymns. Joshua seeks to put down that blathering self-confidence that makes emotional commitments rather than shutting its mouth and counting the cost. He's preaching next Sunday morning, by the way. But he's right. God is asking for a total commitment. Are we willing 
to the best of our ability to lay it all down and you would say, no, I cannot do that except with God's help. But by the grace of God, can I do that? In other words, you and I do not have the capacity in ourselves to serve God and only Him. So we commit to only follow and serve the one true God, but it is by His grace that we're able to do that. And only His grace. Such a commitment is possible. One generation to another, Joshua is about to hand off the mantle. You know what happens in Judges. It's not a great story. But that doesn't matter to God. He still calls us to that total commitment. And it's important. You look at Moses and then you look at Joshua and then you see how God was faithful to passing on the truth from one generation to another. And I was just thinking, Julie and I were up in uh, the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove recently, about a month ago, listening to Steve Brown. And I was just, I was just contemplating, you've got... Um, Many of you know the story of how Billy Graham came to faith in Christ and the, the number of people back behind that that led up to that moment uh, when he encountered the living God. But you think about uh, Dr. Graham and then you think about his son, a rebel with a cause, Franklin, who's gone on to have a great ministry. And then you think about Franklin's son, Will Graham, who is also in the ministry and part of that organization now. And you say, well, golly, if I had parents like Billy and Ruth Graham, that'd be me too. Until you look at the Chibidians and you look at Tully and one of Dr. Graham's grandsons who was a PCA pastor and failed morally. And you realize, well, it's not just the fact that they were related to the Grahams. And it's sobering to us. And so what I want to encourage you tonight as we come to this covenant renewal text in Joshua is to say, yes, I want to follow you, God. I want to follow you with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. But I cannot do it apart from your grace. Are you willing to say that tonight? That is your covenant renewal. To the living God tonight, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great servant of yours, Joshua, and how faithful he was to you as we come to the close of this book, for the great truths that we've learned throughout it and for many of us we'll continue to re reflect on over the next couple of months. Will you take the truths, these truths about what it means to follow you and how hard that is and how often we fail and without your grace we would continue to fail. Would you just encourage us in the journey along the way? Would you find us faithful, Lord, so that you could say to each one of us, when we, like Joshua, pass from this life into eternity, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.